Franti and Spearhead. The song is called Rock the Nation. Interesting song. I don't know if you were listening to those words, but um, that's just the first couple minutes. I encourage you to download it, pay for it. Uh, Don't make me look bad. Get out there and spend money on that song. Support Michael Franti and Spearhead. They're great. Oh, man. I've got a bunch of his records, their records. I'm not sure if it's a he or a they. I don't know if the band changes with each record or or stays the same, but in any case, it's good shit. He's an interesting cat. Uh, I believe he's from Oakland, and if memory serves, he's a black dude who was adopted by a white couple as a baby and raised in a white family, Um, which makes makes his whole on-stage persona extremely interesting. Um, Yeah. I won't say more than that because I've never met the guy. Uh, I did go to a show, though. Cassie and I went to see him in in Barcelona years ago. Um, And it was in a sort of medium-sized club, maybe, uh, I don't know if there were a thousand people there. So it was kind of intimate. And, uh, man, the music's amazing. I, I I could play you 15 songs that would have you dancing in no time. But I did find it kind of annoying because it was one of those gigs where he kept telling people to, you know, put their hands in the air and, you know, kiss the person to their left and, you know, put their left foot in and their right foot out. And I I don't like being told what to do, you know. I mean, I paid 20 bucks to come and see the show. You fucking sing and dance. Don't tell me what to do. I don't know. I'm just a grumpy old white guy, I guess. But that's what it is. This is another edition of... What is this? This is uh, Roma talking, ranting out my ass, responding out my ass. Right. So I'm going to read a few uh, listener emails and um, I'm going to play some more music. Very different from uh, what you just heard. I'm going to play some real white boy music. I'm going to play something that's like from the opposite side of the funk spectrum. And yet in its 
weird baseball capped white boy country western cowboy booted way you'll see it's as funky as Michael Frantian spearhead that is what I am saying I'm I'm putting my foot down and saying that although I've never worn cowboy boots that's one of those affectations uh, that never worked for me I tried them on a couple times and walked around the store and aside from the fact that I just felt like a complete dork uh but you know, I'm used to feeling like a dork. Pretty much whatever I wear, I look like a dork. So so that's that wasn't the problem. The problem was I walked around the store and my socks, with every step I took, pulled down and gathered somewhere between my the balls of my feet and, you know, my heel. Like they gathered under the arch of my feet. So that was not real effective. I think cowboy boots are not made for walking, despite what Nancy Sinatra says, I think they're made for sitting on a fucking horse. I think they're made for like, you know, having spurs that you drive into the horse's belly and make the horse hate you. And I don't know what the pointy toes are for climbing chain link fences or I don't know, killing rattlers. I don't know. I don't know. It's just a silly fucking costume. How did I get talking about cowboy boots? I don't know. Anyway, I'm coming to you from Gran Canaria. I'm still in this little house up on the the slopes of Gran Canaria. If you follow me on uh, social media, you've seen uh, a slew of my sunset photos. I hate people who put up sunset photos on social media, but I'm one of them. Man, these sunsets are fucking amazing up here. Chimney. I mean, you're way up above the clouds and there's the sun setting behind Tenerife, which is another of the Canary Islands. And so there are all these clouds over the ocean between the two. And you see the peaks of El Taide, the highest mountain in what is considered Spain across there. I find it weird that, you know, they say that's the highest mountain in Spain. It's like, yeah, but it's not. I mean, it's politically Spain, but it's not geographically Spain. And mountains are geographical entities. So... I don't know. It's just weird to call it the highest mountain in Spain. And, you know, and here it is on an island off the coast of Morocco. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, pretty fucking cool sunsets. I'm going to read you a couple of listener emails, respond to a few of those. And uh, I'm also going to read an amazing piece of epic. I don't know if you call it poetry. It's a Homerian epic that uh, I think I mentioned in a previous episode that was written by a student who's in a course, um, I think, learning to teach English as a second language. And the um, the teacher assigned a, a section of the podcast I did with Justin DeRyder, episode 99, for those of you who might want to go back and check it out, where he's talking about Uh, a river rafting trip he was on in Oregon where um, his buddy's father died and they had to sort of bring his body down the river and Justin ended up uh, in a very precarious situation, pinned to a rock with his pontoon boat all by himself. The sun's going down. It was a pretty bad situation. So I'll tell you what, why don't I just start with that? I will dig that out and start with the epic poem. 
Sing in me, muse, and through me tell the story of Justin DeRyder, fighter of fire, the river rafter, proud son of Portland, harried by fate upon the water. Of his adventures, begin upon the banks of the Deschutes, hungering for hearth and home with deepest night overtaking the brilliance of Helios. The pale cries of mourning rang out from the wilderness now. The father of the paramedic, sage with years, lay dead. This man's son was the companion of Justin and had served under him, gone in the swift emergency vehicles with him to save many lives, but now could not save his revered father, for no mortal man, however favored, can undo death. Remembering the lost elder, tears welling as he spoke, Hear me, companions, hear what I have to say. No man among us was a greater pilot, no man more deserving of praise, but heed the coming night. We are far from our homes and must set out on our boats of pontoon before the darkness of night which all men fear. Lament in silence, let the funeral pyre wait, let us take the body back home with us. Soon they did as they were bidden and laid out a cloak, and setting the body on it they took positions as an honor guard would. They stood ready and called to Justin Derider, Come with us, leave the second of these ships and number among our guard. Said Justin Derider, worthy paramedic, Take your father's body to his wife. I will take the second ship down the river. And now he boards that vessel inflated and ill-fated. Again they called out, It is dangerous to go alone. Take this, and gave him gifts of wetsuit and paddles. This river the companions knew. Here they descended over crashing waters, white rapids untamed by the works of any man. But now the god that shakes the ground, brooding Poseidon, brooding over old grievances, sends crashing waves against the forlorn Justin Derider, and upon a stone of death he was caught, overlooking a garden of rock, jagged and deadly, as his companions, trapped helpless in the current upon their funeral barge, were forced away. Alone with not but the voices of sirens, those who lure men on the water to their graves, daughters of Achilles, who is set over rivers with voices like honey. He cries out to Zeus, father of gods, what is your will? Let it be known. Will the bright immortals ever let me return home, or should I be dashed upon the rocks here? Do I risk descent into that maw of stone, or wait for rescue upon the gold granite?' Now he goes over the edge, his ship broken, sinking against the clashing rocks he struggles. He who threw himself at Zeus's mercy, begging for clemency, fighting for life, breaks his oars on the slick stones of the Deschutes. In the bright halls of the gods upon Olympus, all the gods took pity on Justin Derider, all but Poseidon, vengeful and petty. Gray-eyed Pallas Athene spoke to Zeus. O oh, father of us all, what pleasure from Justin's suffering do you take? Did you grow tired of his offerings? Has he wronged you in some secret way? That man only longs to see hearth smoke leaping upwards from his house. Are you not moved by this? Why do you let his suffering continue for the will of one God? To this, Zeus, who commands the open sky, replied, what wisdom you speak, my child. Could I not be moved by that man's plight? 
Only for the grudge of my brother who resides in the lapping waters of the sea do I not intervene. Poseidon must relent. It is tragic when one god flaunts the will of all others. Now the god sends one final wave to carry Justin Derider to shore. He takes his arms and armor and his bag for sleeping. Now he makes offerings to the gods and thanks them for their clemency. Wow. That is fucking wild. So if you listen to episode 99... You heard or will hear Justin's tale of being pinned to a rock on the Deschutes River. And that is the uh, Homerian epic style recounting of the same tale uh, by a student in uh, in a class in Montreal, I believe. I don't know if the, the professor wants me to use her name or not, so I won't. Um, but uh, she sends me some interesting and funny things every once in a while, and I very much appreciate it. Now, here's uh, an email I got just in the last 24 hours or so, and I wanted to read it um, because this guy's writing to me, but he's writing to you too, and um, I'll explain what I mean by that after I read it. Uh, And I'm going to skip certain, I'll skip parts that are more personal, but um, he says, um, even though you don't know me through your podcast, you and your guests have been a type of companion to me. I don't live a bad life by any means. In fact, at least materially, I live a better life than 99% of the world population. I went to college. I spend my time reading books, listening to podcasts. I don't need to worry about food or shelter. Nevertheless, for most of my life, I've been at a loss of people with whom I can talk freely and sincerely beyond the fakeness and superficiality of small talk. I don't necessarily mean people with whom I share common interests. In fact, I don't share that many interests with you or your guests. (laughs) It's interesting. I just mean people who vibrate to different frequencies than the rest of society, people who think differently. There's so much about you and your podcast that affects me like no one and nothing else, but I'll just mention one. I often lie in bed unable to fall asleep. I stare at the ceiling or close my eyes while I have this strange feeling. I think of how we've been destroying the environment so much that by many estimates, human civilization won't even survive this century. I like to read about ancient civilizations, the Babylonians, Assyrians, Egyptians, etc. I think of people living back then, thousands of years ago before Homer or Julius Caesar, before Charlemagne or the Vikings or Genghis Khan or Columbus. I think of how unthinkable it would be for an ancient Egyptian to look at the pyramids, monuments of a vibrant and bustling society, and realize that thousands of years later they would merely be crumbled heaps of bricks, objects of curiosity to be gazed at by tourists. Then I think about my life here, about my home, my job, my personal worries, all of it bound in an intricate network that we call modern civilization. And then I realize that it could, and if things continue the way they've been, probably will all be washed away. I realize that I'm just like that Egyptian, caught up in a vast superstructure that feels eternal and permanent, but is ultimately nothing. The pharaohs were gods. What are they now? Museum showpieces. I don't know how to articulate this feeling. I want to scream or cry or sometimes even laugh. What is this life? What is anything? 
Time passes so fast, I feel like collapsing emotionally. I don't know how to express it all. And then he says, um, yeah, your time's limited, yada, yada, I don't want to go on. Uh, I just want you to know I truly appreciate the podcast and the fact that you discuss issues like this. Listening to your podcast in particular has been a type of consolation to me. Now, the reason I wanted to read that is not just, uh, um, you know, to show that I don't find all listener emails annoying. (laughs) I am in a better mood than I was a few months ago when I was giving those guys shit. Oh, speaking of which, the people I gave shit to, turns out one of them wrote back to me and said that he had listened to the, you me, you know, sort of giving him shit. And he said, you're absolutely right. He was the one who was asking me for reading advice about prehistory. And I was like, fuck it, dude, you haven't even read the book I wrote, you know, which contains lots of reading advice. Anyway, he wrote back and said, you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, I was, I was just, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he, but he was cool about it. And then the other person I gave shit to was some guy who like asked me how long it took to hitchhike from Toronto to or New York to Alaska or some shit. I don't remember. Anyway, I don't think he listens to the podcast because a couple of weeks later he wrote to me again asking me the same fucking question. So, I know, so his feelings weren't hurt because he doesn't give a shit. Um, but the reason I wanted to read this was that the reason I do this podcast really is that I feel like there's a community of people who listen to it. And I, I want to find ways for you to meet each other. I mean, there's that Reddit um, thing that you can, if you use Reddit, which I think a lot of people find very confusing, including myself. Um, but there's a Reddit community. I think there are about a thousand people more or less active in that. Uh, you can just go on Reddit and search tangentially speaking one word. Um, and I'm going to be, as you know, putting out this book of, of some of our favorite excerpts uh, from the podcast. And, uh, so that's another way to sort of spread the word and, and interconnect with people. But what I was trying to get at is that this guy, it's not just that he hears me and, you know, my guests on the podcast talking about this stuff. It's that he knows that there are tens of thousands of people out there who are listening to this and, and resonating with the same stuff that he's resonating with. So even though he doesn't have a way to speak to them, directly or to hear from them directly, he knows they're out there. And I think that that gives people a lot of comfort. It certainly gives me a lot of comfort, Um, you know, aside from the fact that, you know, here I am all alone in this house up on the mountain. I, I haven't spoken a word to another human being in, I don't know, four days, probably. Um, Yeah, but I'm talking to you. And who are you? Uh, all I know is that you're people who find the same things interesting that I do, more or less. Uh, you know, at least there's enough overlap for you to keep coming back and listening to this. So that's comforting. That's that's really interesting. And, you know, and that's just of the people who happen to have heard of the podcast. Imagine how many of us there are in the world. And that's one of the wonderful things about traveling, that you can be in the middle of nowhere and you meet somebody and you just really resonate with them, you're the same tribe, you know? And I think that our tribe, 
whatever we want to call it, um, whatever it is that joins us. I'm not sure I could even articulate it, but it's much bigger than we think. And this whole internet thing is a way uh, for us to find each other and to support each other. So speaking of that, I want to make sure I mention that the book, Tangentially Reading, that we're working on with uh, Misfit Press, um, at some point I'm going to have the founders of Misfit Press on. Um, I met them over drinks in Portland, and um, I mentioned that I had this book idea, and they were into it. And the reason I mentioned it is that they're they're in the tribe. AJ was the guy's name who I'm thinking of. Um, he's definitely in the tribe. He's a guy, if I remember his story correctly, he was working on Wall Street. I think I actually talked about him in the episode with Pre that just went up a few days ago. Um, that was AJ that I mentioned who was working on Wall Street and had married his high school sweetheart and they were going to go to the Bahamas for uh, their honeymoon. And his boss called him in a few days before and said, hey, sorry, we're working on this big deal. You can't go to the Bahamas. you got to cancel your honeymoon. But lucky you, you get an extra $50,000 bonus this year, which was in like three days. This was like December 27th or something. And he went to his office and broke into tears. Now, you might say, why is the guy breaking into tears? He just got $50,000 bonus. He broke into tears because he realized he didn't have control over his life. He broke into tears, and you know, I'm assuming I know he might say something different, but I think he broke into tears because he was selling, he, he was facing the prospect of selling his honeymoon for money. And it made him feel horrible. It, it made him look at his life and say, what the fuck is this? So he went and quit quit right away. Didn't even wait to get the 50 grand. He could have quit five days later and he would have got the 50 grand, but he didn't because he knew that if he waited five days, he'd come up with a million reasons not to quit. And some decisions you just have to make them in the heat of the moment. You have to make it Well, you feel. You feel it's the right thing to do. You know it in your bones. It's the right thing to do. But if you wait, your brain takes over from your heart and then things get all fucked up. Anyway, the book, uh, Tangentially Reading, that I'm doing with Misfit Press, which is was started by this guy after he quit his Wall Street job and, and wandered out into the world and figured out what he wanted to do. Um, we're looking for people to participate. So if you want to participate, uh, you can either transcribe some of the episodes that we're going to include you can just let us know what you really, you know, when you think of the episodes you've listened to, what really stands out for you? What moved you? What made you stop and rewind and listen again? What made you tell your friend about the podcast? What, what is it that's valuable to you in this podcast that you think other people um, would benefit from, from seeing on a page? Yeah, if you can help, if you want to help and be involved in this in any way, uh, either by telling us about the episodes and the, and the specific part of the episodes that you're, you'd like to see in the book, uh, or to volunteer with the uh, transcribing, drop Matt a line. He's, uh, I don't know what his title is, chief editor or something. Yeah, chief editor at Misfit Press. Uh, and he's sort of spearheading this operation. Cool guy. 
great guitarist. Somewhere online I saw a YouTube video of him playing um, the sort of famous riff from uh, Hotel California. He fucking nails it. Anyway, Matt at Misfit, M-I-S-F-I-T dash or hyphen, I-N-C, Inc. dot com. That's Matt at Misfit hyphen Inc. dot com. Let him know uh, what you like, what you dig, and what, if anything, you want to do to be involved in that book. Thanks. Okay, back to listener email. Here's a recent one from a guy named Matt. I'm listening to your podcast, and I thought it would be awesome to hear how you managed to travel the world all those times. Uh, I can relate to uh, you and your guests. I've been working since I was 15, cook, busboy, server, machine shop worker, landscaper, roofer. Yet here I am just a week ago. I quit my job again. I was tired of being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Tired of working 8 to 12 hours a day and not even making 100 bucks. I know my peers would see me as lazy or behind in the rat race, but I don't give a fuck about the rat race. Fuck was all capitalized, so I'm just reading it the way he wrote it, folks. I never have. Never have I done good with authority, like high school. I was constantly the rebel. Completely unintentional, but I just find myself stepping back constantly and seeing how much of a joke it is. You want me to be grateful for a job where I can bust my ass for 12 hours and maybe make 100 bucks just to do it all over again? Fuck that, he says. So he wants to know, like, how do you get out of this mess? Well, good fucking question, Matt. I don't know. Everyone's got to find their own way out of the mess. Um, in my case, it was a combination of luck I got that job in New York where I made a shitload of money um, in a year and a half or something and then managed to save up 15, 16, something like that, $1,000. And I rode that for two years through Asia, I think. Um, And then the guy hired me back again and I saved up more money. I worked in Hell's Kitchen um, on a project he had there. That's, geez, that's going to be an episode of uh, talking out my ass if I ever get around to doing more of those. Um, anyway, I, I worked for him for another year and saved up another seven or $8,000. And I took that and, and did a trip through Mexico into Guatemala where the scorpion bit me and all that shit happened. But um, so it's a combination of, you know, landing jobs that paid very well in the U.S. Um, I also went up to Alaska, as you may know, and worked on fishing boat one year and in a cannery one year and and pocketed uh, several thousand dollars from that. So I just sort of looked around and found opportunities to make money quickly, and I was pretty ruthless about saving it. No Coke addictions, no... um, you know, fancy trips, no expensive watches, none of that bullshit. Just wear the same fucking clothes every day, man. You're you're a dude. Women can't get away with that so much, but guys pretty much can. Even if you have a, like an office job, just you wear, it's just a fucking suit. You just wear a different shirt and tie and people don't notice. Anyway, what's my point? My point is that that's how I did it, but that was a long time ago. Things are different now, Uh, in some ways harder, in some ways easier. I think it's probably harder to land those sorts of jobs, although it was hard then, too. I was just really lucky. 
Um, but uh, it's easier in the sense that a lot more people are working mobily now. There's this whole digital pilgrim thing or digital nomad. I can't always call them digital pilgrims. I don't know why. Digital nomads that are uh, working all over the world, people who can make money with a laptop. So, you know, if you have any sorts of technical abilities, you can learn to, to you know, do shit on a laptop. I don't know. I mean, I don't, so I'm not really good at that. But I know there are thousands of people doing it, whether it's, I don't know if they're doing web page design or, you know, data mining. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. But um, if you do have some sort of technical abilities, then you're in a better position to answer that question than I am. But there are a lot of people doing that. Uh, Editors, translators, if you have any uh, language skills, that's always something that's mobile. And then, of course, there are these these uh, programs where you can go and work on organic farms in exchange for food and a place to stay. And that's really cool because you meet people who are out there on the road, interesting people, people in our tribe, and, uh, and they'll tell you how they do it and, you know, what they were doing before they got there and what their plans are, where they're going next. And so you don't need a lot to get out, especially in a situation like this. I mean, the way Matt describes his life, he's 22. And doesn't sound to me like he's got a family or, you know, kids and a wife and all that. Sounds to me like he's pretty free and clear. Um, you're making 100 bucks a day. Okay, 100 bucks a day. What's that? 2000 a month if you're working five days a week. And let's be honest. I don't know where you are, Matt, but if you're not in a major city, which it doesn't sound like you are, you can probably live on... 500 bucks a month. You get a room in a shared house. That's 250. I don't know, 250, three, four, maybe for, for food, whatever. At least you're saving a thousand bucks a month. You do that for six months. You got six grand in the bank. Six grand is more than enough to get you out into one of these organic farm situations. And it sounds like you've done a lot of stuff, right? You've done a lot of jobs, so you know how to do some shit. You know, you know how to landscape, you've done roofing, you've done some machine shop stuff. Develop some skills, take them with you. So, you know, if you can, if you're making a hundred bucks a day, I know it sucks. I know it's demeaning, it's demoralizing. But if you've got a plan, if you're saying every fucking month I'm putting a thousand or 1200 bucks, when I get 6,000 bucks, I'm out of here. Well, then... Time goes faster, right? Look into the projects online. It's I forget what it's called, but I mentioned it in an earlier podcast. Just Google, you know, organic farm work stay program, something like that, and you'll find it. And they're all over the world, and um, there are also people doing it with uh, wine picking in Europe. So uh, you know, a thousand bucks, you can get a round trip ticket to Europe. You can go and work picking grapes in the south of France or in Italy. I think Matt mentioned Italy. Actually, he was talking about a movie. And, uh, yeah, he says, oh, there's some movie. He said, uh, what's it called here? Spring uh, that he saw recently. And a guy goes to an Italian guy's farm and works and falls in love. Typical movie shit, right? But why can't I make this my reality? You can, Matt. You can make it your reality. Google is shit. Google, uh, you know, wine workers or wine pickers, grape pickers, volunteer positions. 
A friend of mine just got offered a position uh, working at a winery in Sicily. Um, so it happens. They're out there. You just got to look for it. Look for it and then have some discipline. And it sounds like you've got discipline. You know, you say you get up every morning, you go work out. So you've got discipline. You just need to apply that now to saving money and getting your ass out on the road. You know, and leave a thousand bucks in the bank for when you get back. So you've got a buffer. Okay, here's another question. Um, Another email. I'm emailing you about a developing relationship with a woman in my life. I'm a 22-year-old guy, and she's a 41-year-old woman. She's also not American, but has lived here for um, several years, so we can communicate well. We've had sex a handful of times, and we both want this to continue as a friends-with-benefits-style relationship. Question. What parameters or rules should friends with benefits set in place so that neither of us become jealous? Obviously, as humans, I can imagine that at some point one of us will become jealous over something in the future. My goal is to minimize this as much as possible so that I can continue sleeping with this woman because it's a lot of fun and she says she enjoys it too. (laughs) Okay. Well, here's the thing. Unnamed listener. Uh, I think if one of you is going to have problems with jealousy, it's going to be you, not her. You're 22. She's 41. She's been around the block a few times. She's probably, hopefully, in uh, better touch with her feelings than any 22-year-old could possibly be. Hopefully, the experiences she's had in life have taught her a few things. Um, so yeah, what are the parameters? What are the rules? Well, the rules are, first of all, that you look at this as an opportunity to learn, not as an opportunity, opportunity to own another person, control another person, or get into any sort of weird power. I'm the man, you're the woman, so I have to act a certain way and you have to act a certain way situation. Don't do that to yourself. This is a situation that is going to be a bittersweet memory. And your job is to maximize the sweetness for both of you and minimize the bitterness. But it's going to be bittersweet because it's going to end. It's not going to last forever. And few things do. Um, but especially few things between a 22-year-old and a 41-year-old. So what you want to be doing here is learning. Look, I've often looked at relationships the same way I look at travel. Uh, There are places I love traveling where I definitely would not want to live. Um, Part of the wonder of travel is not understanding everything. You know, like I don't speak the local language. I don't know what the hell's going on half the time, but it's great to be here. And that's part of the appeal, actually. And I've been with women where I had no idea what the fuck was going on. And, you know, that's why I wouldn't want to live there because it's like, Jesus, I I don't speak her language, but it's fun to be here now. You know, it's great to just experience what I can experience. And as a 22-year-old, there's going to be a lot in her life and her thinking and her way of being that you aren't going to be able to really understand, at least not now. But things could happen. She can say things. You can have experiences with her that 20 years from now you're going to remember. 
And you're going to go, oh, that's what she was talking about. Now I get it. So your job is to absorb those things from her, absorb whatever knowledge she has for you, whatever love she has for you, and take it as it's offered. Don't try to make it into something else. Don't try to make it into something it's not. And I'm assuming that this is a cool woman, that this is someone who's open and and um, isn't playing head games with you. If she is, then, then get away from her. But if she isn't, and I think there's reason to think she isn't, uh, enjoy it, man. Have fun. Learn. Don't get macho. Don't get defensive. That's the that's the problem I see in this young man, older woman situation. That the men, if they're insecure, they get threatened by the innate power imbalance that 20 additional years of life gives somebody. It's not that she's going to power trip you. It's just that she knows shit you don't know. And you need to accept that with grace and not feel personally implicated by that or personally, um, you know, defensive. There's no need to feel defensive. But 22-year-old guys don't understand that a lot of times. They're extremely fragile, defensive. So you need to be cool. And she's been with lots of other men probably. Maybe she'll tell you. Maybe she won't. Uh, And that depends on how cool you are. If you're chill, then maybe she'll share things. And you'll have an opportunity to learn a lot from her that you couldn't possibly learn in any other way. I think these sorts of relationships are um, potentially really wonderful. And, you know, I might get in trouble for saying that, but I don't give a fuck. I think um, I think it's beautiful that, uh, you know, I, I often say, like, we're so uptight about these sorts of relationships with um, age differences, especially when one of the people is is uh, young and sort of starting out. Now, I'm not talking about 13-year-olds, you know, I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying, you know, when you're both adults and one's a young adult, one's an older adult— then it's fucking great, man. It's great. I don't care if the woman's older, the guy's older, whatever. It doesn't matter because there is no better way to transmit knowledge than through intimacy. And, you know, if both people enter into it willingly and with open minds and open hearts, it can be a truly beautiful life-altering experience for both of you. So I wish you luck with that, and I hope you will be cool, be relaxed, don't try to control this woman and uh and just accept whatever comes your way with uh with grace and gratitude <clears throat> that's my advice okay let's do one more okay here's one from a dad my son just graduated from high school and is headed to a college in colorado i spent a few years in college after high school and did not finish with a degree Uh, but a great experience I wouldn't trade for anything. Nonetheless, I was able to find a career in the trades. I'm not sure how much legitimate advice I can impart him on his journey since I never graduated from college. And taking advice from a person that hasn't walked the walk is blasphemy as far as I'm concerned. Any advice you can send his way would be awesome. What are your thoughts on debt and a college education? Any mistakes you've made that can be avoided? Any thoughts or advice in general about food, sex, 
drugs, shitty teachers, etc., would be a great start in the right direction. <laughs> All right. Uh, and this comes from Haynes, Alaska. Beautiful Haynes, Alaska. I've been through there, I guess, just once. Yeah, I got off the ferry in Haynes and hitched up from there once, and then the other time from Skagway. Uh, beautiful town, though. I love Haynes. And I met a guy... Oh, what the hell's his name? I met a guy in Laos. We were floating down a river, Cassie and I in Laos, in truck inner tubes. And this couple floated all over near us, and we started chatting with them. <clears throat> and he was from Haines. He owned a, owned a river rafting company, I believe. Anyway, I don't remember his name. But shout out to Haines, Alaska. Um, what advice would I give this kid? Uh, avoid debt. That would be... I think that the college uh, situation in the U.S. right now is a debt bubble that is bound to burst, and it's going to destroy a lot of people when it does. It's already destroying a lot of people. College debt is never forgiven. You can borrow money to buy a house, and the real estate market crashes. You declare bankruptcy, and you walk away and start over again. Seven years later, your credit's back to zero. Um, you can borrow money to start a business and the business fails. As Donald Trump has experienced six or seven times, you declare bankruptcy, the business doesn't pay its creditors, it disappears, you start another business, you start over again. College debt, thanks to our elected fuckhead officials, never goes away. Never. So you can't declare bankruptcy and start over again. You can't uh, even get old and retire because the fuckers will attach your social security payments. So some old, poor motherfucker, like, you know, I'm likely to be, getting $400 a month on social security, they'll come and take a quarter of that or half of that. I don't know what exact the exact sum is. It keeps changing depending who's in office. But my point is college debt is like a fucking tattoo on your forehead, man. It will never go away. So I would avoid that at all costs. I would not go to college just because people go to college uh, and, you know, worry about the money later. I would not do that. Honestly, I think a four-year college degree for most people is utterly worthless and incredibly expensive. I think it's a real bad buy. Um, if there's something that you specifically want to study, then maybe higher education makes sense for you. But you need to know what that is, and you need to be sure that that's what you want to do. People who go to college to just sort of fuck around and try to figure out where they want to go in life, they could be um, fucking around, figuring out where they want to go in life much more cheaply, much more profitably than they are in a college with, with a bunch of, you know, dipshits <clears throat> their own age who don't know what the fuck they're doing either. I, I honestly, if I had kids at college age right now, I'd be saying, you know, you guys decide what you want to do, but I'm not paying for it. 
And if you want to pay for it and you want to go in debt for the rest of your life, I won't stop you, but I'll tell you, I think it's the stupidest fucking move you can make. If you know what you want to do, you want to be a welder, then you can spend a fraction of what you would spend probably in one year of college to get your welding license and make good money for the rest of your life. And no matter what happens in the world economy, they're always going to need welders. Wherever you live, people are going to need a welder to fix the fucking frame that cracked on their truck or to fix something in the foundation of their house. They're not going to send it to China to get welded. So trades, I think, are in a crashing economy like the United States is. I think trades are a safe bet. If you're good with your hands, you know how to do shit, you don't mind getting dirty, I would auto mechanics, plumbing, welding, electricians, get a job, as I've said many times on this podcast, look at jobs in alternative energy, the new the sort of passive energy fields. That's where the future is. Not in not with a fucking BA in English literature like I have, or, you know, government affairs or history or philosophy or some bullshit like that. You want to study philosophy? You want to study English literature? You want to study government affairs? You don't need a fucking college to do that. You don't need it. Just fucking read the books. Read the books. Find people who are interested in it. Again, getting back to the internet, you can join all sorts of study groups. There's all this online study stuff. MIT, Stanford, all these universities have the coursework online. You can actually sit online and watch the professors talking that the people in the room pay $40,000 a year to sit there. And you can watch it on your computer for nothing. What's the difference? The difference is they get a piece of paper from Stanford that says they went there and you just get the knowledge. Well, who's when you're applying for a job in my company, I'm much more interested in the person who was smart enough to get that education for free and disciplined enough to actually do it than the person who went into debt for $200,000 to go to Stanford. What do you want to do with your life? Substance or show? Uh, the knowledge is out there and knowledge is free, ladies and gentlemen. As I've said many times, knowledge is free. There, I'm, When I was young, there were libraries. Now it's even easier. It's on the fucking internet. It's everywhere. You can download all the classics onto your Kindle for nothing. So no, I would not recommend going into debt to get a college education. Unless... As I said, unless you know exactly what you want to do and you see a job, a good job, that's going to enable you to pay off that debt quickly on the other side of that education, you know, you want to be a brain surgeon, yeah, you got to go to college. <laughs> but, you know, if you're not sure you want to be a brain surgeon, you might want to take a year or two and think about it. That's my advice. Now, any thoughts or advice in general about food, sex, drugs, shitty teachers? Um, <laughs> I don't – food? I don't know. Food? When did I become an expert on food? I don't know. Eat it, but not too much of it. What's Michael Pollan say? Eat – I don't know. Eat plants. I think that's what he says. Eat things that are alive or were alive recently. That's my advice. Don't eat shit that came out of a factory. Uh, sex, you know, have as much of it as you can without hurting anybody or yourself. Uh, drugs, mm, I guess sort of the same as the sex advice. 
Uh, shitty teachers to be avoided. Shitty anybody with authority is to be avoided. I'll tell you that. And might as well end end this now with a little rant about, you know, an anti-America rant. I'm here on this island, as I said at the beginning, and I'm near the highest point on the island. I'm up on top of this ancient volcano. I think I'm about 2,000 feet, 2,000 meters above sea level. Pretty far up. I'm above the clouds. And, uh, and there are all these rock formations up here. Really beautiful. And so I've been... You know, nights when I feel like going for a walk, I'm tired of working, I go and I uh, take a walk to one of these rock formations. And, oh shit, a bird just flew into the house. Wow. Hope it flies out. Anyway, um, there are all these rock formations and there are tourists around and, uh, you know, people, people who live here and whatever. And there are no fences. There are no signs. There's nothing warning you, danger, danger, stay away from this. Oh, my God, there's a 2,000-foot drop here. Oh, my God, watch out. Oh, there's none of that. Now, do people fall sometimes? I guess they probably do. Yeah, they must, occasionally, but not very often. I would say people fall a lot less often when there aren't warning signs and fences and all that shit that they have in America to try to protect us. Because people know it's dangerous. They see it. It's right in front of them. There's a really interesting thing done, I think it was in Holland a few years ago, where a civic planner um, decided there was an intersection where they were having a lot of um, traffic accidents, people going through the red light. And so they decided to take out the red light and just leave the intersection with I think there was a I think they put in a roundabout or something, um, and they found that the rate of accidents dropped way down. When people are expecting to be told what to do, they fuck up a lot. When you don't tell them what to do and let them work it out for themselves, they end up being much more careful and much smarter. I think we can apply that way of thinking to the way we raise kids, to our criminal justice program, to the way we deal with drugs, the way we deal with sexuality, the way we deal with all these things. As I was saying earlier with the intergenerational sexual relationships, it's crazy that we condemn that as being such a terrible thing when in every other part of life, older people teach younger people how to do shit. You know, we're talking about college. What is college? College is an opportunity to go and meet people a generation or two older than you who can impart some knowledge to you, ideally. That's that's at least what they sell it as, right? I mean, you know, we don't give kids the keys to the car and say, okay, kids, go teach yourselves to drive. But that's what we do with sex. We give a bunch of 15 to 16-year-olds the keys to the car and say, hey, yeah, go figure it out. You know, watch some porn and figure it out. You know, but don't do anything stupid. Whereas if that, you know, 17, 18, 19, 22 year old kid is with uh, someone who's 20 years older than them, then we say, oh, that's creepy. How is that creepy? That older person is teaching the younger person how to do shit. How is that creepy? It's creepy in sex, but in every other part of life, it makes perfect sense. (sighs) Well, we're assuming that there's some sort of power imbalance that's, you know, that makes it all unfair and that and that and that. But 
that's an unwarranted assumption in many cases. I think that it's perfectly possible for that to be a very healthy and happy situation. Anyway, oh, I forgot. I was going to play you (laughs) some schmaltzy white person music. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, this is uh, a guy I really like. His name's Lamb Chop. I don't know if Lamb Chop is the dude. Again, it's like this Michael, it's the spearhead thing. I don't know if Lamb Chop is the dude or Lamb Chop is the band, but it's always the same guy. He's a white guy. He wears a baseball cap that I think says like John Deere or something on it. It looks like he comes from Nebraska. And uh, he mumbles. He's kind of hard to understand. Um, but And the music is this sort of schmaltzy... 70s cowboy music uh, soundtrack. I mean, that's how it sounds to me. Um, but it's fucking great. It's great. So I'm going to play you uh, just a little medley of, of uh, five tunes by Lamb Chop. And I'm not going to tell you what order they're in because I don't know. I'm just going to throw them up there. But here are the tunes I'm going to play. This Corrosion. Each time I bring it up, it seems to bring you down. Listen, Grumpus, and Steve McQueen. So the next five, you're going to hear five snippets, and it's going to be the the beginning of each of these songs. Okay, just the beginning, because the beginnings are so cinematic and beautiful. So this is Lamb Chop. Check them out. I don't know which record these are from, but they're not. Very recent. But anyway, you'll find it on iTunes or whatever. This corrosion, each time I bring it up, it seems to bring you down. Listen, Grumpus and Steve McQueen. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Be well.